This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Hey everyone, Jeremy here, and guys, I'm very interested for the conversation we're going to have today. We have Dr. Alyssa Dweck with us today, and she's helping women to naturally conquer menopause. And to me, having some personal experience with a parent, I'm just really interested to kind of get into this. So Dr. Dweck, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. This is my bread and butter and what I love to talk about all day long. So let me ask you this, I guess for you, what makes you so passionate about doing this each and every day? Look, you know, I think this comes from multiple fronts. First of all, I've been a practicing gynecologist for the past 27, 28 years. So this is what I live and breathe and what I really find to be enjoyable and interesting. Second, I'm a woman. I'm traversing these issues myself. So it's really great to learn about new things and to understand what other people are going through on a personal level. And finally, I really like to help women in my practice extinguish their suffering in the best way that I can so that they can really enjoy the quality of their life. Well, I guess looking at that then, in the past, there's been a lot of handling things with medication, with hormones, with a lot of these different things. And I had mentioned to you before we started recording, I had an experience with my mom. She's in her 60s now, but I remember in her 30s and 40s and everything else, she had a lot of hormone issues. So because of that, they had her on birth control to try and handle that. And she had these horrible migraines and she went into menopause early. And I guess like looking at that, why would a solution like that occur? And like, how should we actually be looking at that? Well, I think it's important to take a step back so Mm -hmm. we actually understand what's happening. And of course, I'm speaking in broad general terms rather than about your mom specifically. Absolutely. But the menopause is, first of all, not a disease. I think that's very important to understand. It's a Mm -hmm. natural life stave. Everybody's going to go through it, and it's important just to understand that. Hormones don't stop being produced from one day to the next. This is a transition. So we often will see women, whether it's in their late 30s or early 40s, start to develop changes, whether it has to do with their bleeding habits or whether they're having symptoms like hot flashes or night sweats or some of the other many, many symptoms that do go along with hormone changes, including headaches for that matter. Mm -hmm. And there are various ways to try to manage this. Hormones are surely one way, and in that perimenopausal time when we still might need to consider contraceptive needs, birth control pills are a very common remedy because it kind of kills two birds with one stone. But realize there are so many women who either don't want to take hormones or who have a medical contraindication to taking hormones that we need to have many other options available in order to keep people comfortable and manage their own individual situation. So oftentimes we turn to lifestyle management, we turn to herbal supplements, we turn to alternative medications that might be pharmacologic but are not hormonal in nature. Mm. And these are oftentimes big discussions to be held. So one of the words you use there, perimenopause, and I'm interested for people listening that may not be as familiar with that, what is the difference between perimenopause and menopause? 
Yes, and thanks for asking because there's so much confusion about that. These are just semantics, really, when you think about it, because as I said, this is all one big transition until that day when you can say you've been 12 consecutive months without menstruating for no other reason. That's when menopause occurs by definition, and it could be anywhere from four to 10 years leading up to that where things are changing, maybe subtly, maybe not so subtly, and this is called the perimenopausal transition. It's those years leading up to 12 months without your period. Mm. And what's kind of like a normal age range for that? Because we hear about it being early, we hear about it being late. What's like a normal like age range that it should be happening? Well, the average age of menopause is actually 51.4 years in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So if you count four to, let's say, 10 years prior to that, those would be your typical perimenopausal years. Give or take a little. It's not an absolute set in stone time. And I guess like looking at that, like as women get into their 30s and their 40s, because you're talking about between four and 10 years or something like that, like what things should they be looking at? What things should they be considering? Because I'm sure this is something you should start thinking about in your late 30s. Yeah, no question. Well, look, these days with so many women being career oriented or perhaps starting families a little later than traditionally was 20 years ago, these symptoms and nuances may be more recognized because people are interested in their fertility into their late 30s. With that being said, most of the time, one of the first symptoms that comes about that's recognizable is a change in the menstrual habits. So maybe you skip a period. Maybe your periods are a little longer, a little shorter, a little lighter, a little heavier. That's usually a first telltale sign, but frankly, it's not always recognized because many other things can come into play when it comes to menstrual habits. Second might be exactly what you were talking about with your mom. Hot flashes, night sweats, just a intolerance of the typical temperature range that usually is comfortable for you. So that's something that comes about. What I hear a lot in my practice are mood changes, particularly irritability. Women will literally come in and just say, I don't know what's going on, but I don't even recognize myself. It's mm. like I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm very irritable. I have no patience with my family, my children, my job. And that may be a symptom of that's recognized. That makes a ton of sense, too, because like for myself, it makes me think of both the pregnancies my wife was through. Hormones are up and they're down. You can't always explain things. And sometimes you're crying and you don't really know why. But it's definitely a thing you can see. You are very right. Now, of course, pregnancy is a totally different situation no, where hormones are really surging. But yes, the root of this issue is very similar. It's hormone volatility. So oftentimes there's sort of a disconnect between these symptoms and what is actually causing them. So it's almost like a hindsight uh, recognition for lots of people. But thankfully, people bring up their symptoms and we usually can connect the dots. So when we start seeing symptoms, and I do like that you say, you know, this is a part of life. It's something we go through. It is not a disease or a condition, which is important to understand because I think there could maybe be some embarrassment or there could be some confusion or whatever there may be around that. And I guess understanding that that is the situation, it's something we go through. What steps should be taken then once you start seeing some things happening? Well, for sure, I think a lot of women get frightened when they don't recognize themselves. So reassurance and allowing people to understand that this is a typical symptom that lots of other women might be traversing makes people feel better. So normalizing the situation is helpful. 
doing testing to rule out other medical conditions that might actually be scarier or require treatment in a different modality, very important. I think that is step number one. Mm -hmm. Once we establish that there's no real medical issue going on, nothing scary, no cancer, which of course everybody is always afraid of whenever they're having bleeding abnormalities, then we can really get into the nitty gritty of which symptoms are bothersome and whether treatment is really needed. Because the first intervention is oftentimes just lifestyle modification, dietary changes, exercise changes, stress reduction changes, mindfulness practicing, those things can be very helpful. After that, we have to assess whether bleeding habits need to be addressed, and that can be done medically or surgically. We also need to address hot flashes, night sweats, and that can be done through lifestyle, but also through herbal remedies or through pharmaceutical routes. And then we also need to address issues like vaginal dryness. This is something that comes upon a little bit later, and many people in the perimenopausal and menopausal years do get concerned about. You mentioned the dietary habits, Dr. Dweck. I'm curious, could we dive into that a little bit more? Like what things should be changed dietary wise? Like what's going to help with that? Well, I guess the two things we really want to manage with diet are not only health, but also hot flashes. So there are certain dietary triggers that are known to bring on hot flashes with a vengeance, particularly at night when it might interrupt sleep. So for example, alcohol. And I'm not saying avoid all alcohol, but it may need to be minimized or moderated in order to prevent hot flashes. Mm -hmm. Alcohol also can disrupt sleep. So if you're having hot flashes at night and drinking alcohol, you really may not have high quality sleep. We also see things like caffeine being disruptive and causing vasomotor symptoms. So moderating caffeine intake through coffee, tea, even chocolate is something to consider. High salt can be a problem. So many women are worried about water retention or even weight gain that could be water retention related. So moderating salt intake can be helpful. The other reason to consider moderating diet habits is weight change. If there is one complaint that I get in my office day in and day out that I wish I had a magic bullet for, it is weight gain and weight management Mm -hmm. because women are really struggling with trying to maintain their weights with the same caloric intake, similar exercise patterns, but hormone changes bring on these changes nonetheless. So modification of diet and exercise are helpful for that. And I think that's interesting, too, because and I'm curious on this one, like you mentioned, dietary changes with weight gain and things like that going through menopause are a lot of those things like permanent changes Does the body kind of reach a new homeostasis after that. Or what does that kind of look like going through that? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I would have to venture to guess. Yes, because metabolism drops with age. Mm -hmm. Metabolism drops through menopause because of less muscle mass and less lean body mass tissue. So you almost have to build it up again in order to improve your metabolic rate. But yes, it becomes a lot harder to maintain weight with the same habits that you had as a 20-year-old as you do when you're a 40 or 45-year-old. So mindfulness eating is very important, portion control, but also choices. I often turn towards recommending the Mediterranean diet Mm. for my perimenopausal and menopausal patients. Why? This is typically and traditionally considered a heart-healthy diet. It's low in salt, so naturally keeps blood pressure in range. It's got a lot of lean protein and only good fats, which naturally keeps cholesterol in check and limits risk of other cardiovascular issues. But with that comes low glycemic index. What does that mean? 
less simple and processed carbs that can put on the weight. So it sort of serves dual purpose. It allows for a heart-healthy diet, also good for glycemic control and weight management. Well, I think even, you know, Dr. Perlmutter would be happy about that one because your brain would thank you on that one as well as a lot of those high glycemic carbs are not good for brain function either. <laughs> you are so right. And they also interrupt sleep, yeah. which of course then gives you that brain fog and irritability during the day. So it is kind of a vicious cycle. One last comment about diet. Yeah. The other dietary regimen that is kind of all the rage right now for our menopause population is intermittent fasting. And there are studies to suggest that this really could help with this population to help with weight management. Typically, we recommend the 16-8 regimen. So it's 16 hours out of 24 with really just fluid intake, hydration, caffeinated beverages or whatnot, and then really reserving eight hours of those 24 for caloric intake and making smart choices there. You know what's interesting, Dr. Dweck, is you mentioned some of the things that could cause more night sweats and more sweating and things like that being like caffeine and coffee intake and alcohol. And you know what's interesting, and maybe I'm drawing an incorrect conclusion here, but to me, it actually reminds me of a lot of the similar things I've had with looking at like adrenal fatigue, right? Like it's too much coffee, too much alcohol, a lot of these things and your adrenals don't really thank you for that. Am I correct to kind of look at that similarly or what do you think? Well, the way I look at adrenal fatigue is again, something I see day in, day out in practice. These days, everybody is on super overloads of stress. Yep. This means your adrenals are pumping out cortisol 24 seven, 365, and that's not healthy. So I think that in and of itself, the stress levels can really lead to adrenal fatigue. Whether alcohol and caffeine also contribute to that, I'm not sure I'm an expert in sure. that field, so I'm unsure, but surely it can't help other than to moderate those things. So we've talked about diet, and the other thing I wanted to kind of bring us into, and we kind of referenced this a little bit in the beginning, is hormone replacement. And there's also natural versus like pharmacological different ways to do this. When we're looking at like hormone replacement, what sort of a regimen should be considered around that? Yeah, so hormone replacement these days in gynecology world means replacement of estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen is being replaced because in menopause, the ovaries are no longer releasing eggs and therefore no longer producing much estrogen. And so that's diminished. And progesterone is also not released quite a bit because there's no ovulation occurring. So progesterone doesn't get released. The reason both of these are prescribed or at least recommended as sort of the gold standard by the medical community is that they replace what the body's no longer making much of and therefore really help to mitigate hot flashes and night sweats. The main indication for this type of hormone replacement therapy are hot flashes, night sweats, and protection against osteoporosis. For many women, this is the godsend that they are looking for, but you really need to realize that there are risks that may come along with hormone replacement. Number one, there is a risk of uterine cancer when you take estrogen. Mm. This is why progesterone is prescribed for those women who have a uterus to mitigate that risk. Number two, there may be an increased risk of breast cancer for people who take estrogen. And there are many nuances that go along with this, but suffice it to say, there are many women who are frightened of this and therefore prefer to avoid estrogen. There are a couple of other situations and scenarios where estrogen is contraindicated. 
I won't go into all of those, sure. but it just means that this is not a one size fits all for our menopause population with hot flashes. So we need to have other alternatives. And I have found over the years that natural alternatives are really becoming popular because women are doing their due diligence, doing their homework, and they feel a little safer using natural products that actually have clinical studies behind them to suggest safety and efficacy. So there's many tools in the tool chest. These are just two of them. I know for some of the friends that I've had that are perimenopausal and menopausal, like one of the things they did was like a progesterone cream. Is that something that you've seen as well, like using that in either in that type of a form? I have seen progesterone cream, of course. This is typically over-the-counter or compounded by a specialty pharmacy for people. I don't feel that it has good efficacy information behind it mm. in really, really solving the hot flash issue that's going on for so many women. With that said, there's always a high placebo effect for certain products, mm -hmm. and perhaps some women are feeling relief in addition to a placebo effect. But this is not really one of the mainstay treatments for hot flashes. Very cool. Well, Dr. Dweck, I've learned a ton from you today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. For people listening, you have a role as the chief medical officer at Bonafide Health. For people listening, how can they connect with you? How can they find out more about the company and how you can help? Thank you so much. So Bonafide Health puts out multiple natural supplements in order to help menopausal women navigate this natural stage of life. They have supplements that are available for hot flashes, for mood irritability and PMS, for vaginal health and a healthy biome, for vaginal dryness, for sexual health. So I really encourage women to navigate the website, hellobonafide.com, in order to gain more information. You'll see my bio on there as well, and a really wonderful website with lots of blogs and other educational materials.